So hello, everybody. This is Stefan. I'm your host of today's webinar here from the Treasurer headquarters. We're going to talk about um, cyber criminals today. And we have our lovely guest, Shannon Miller. Just one single um, housekeeping note for the audience out there. We will have a Q&A session um, right after the conversation with Shannon and um, feel free to ask during our talk. Um, we will have some scenarios um, outlining um, where vulnerabilities in hybrid networks, for example, hybrid work networks, for example, are. And I'm sure you will have, have some. I'm Shannon Miller. I'm a security consultant and OSINT and private investigator. It's kind of a mouthful. So I just usually lump it under security consultant. Um, I run a boutique firm that does OSINT investigations specializing in harassment and stalking cases, um, mostly online safety, digital privacy, things like that. So that's kind of my area of expertise. And we're also talking today about the um, the move during the pandemic towards the hybrid work environment, some things that I deal with every day because a lot of the people that talk to me are the ones dealing with somebody in their systems, uh, in their home networks, and in their companies. So that's kind of my background and what I do. And I'm sure people will have curiosity about the private investigator piece, but we're not really addressing that. So we're going to be talking about Internet of Things, IoT, smart devices. We have all these smart devices on the same home network that we may have our um, work devices or our personal devices and our kids' tablets. So we're talking about this, this idea of we've brought our work into our home environment where, you know, we all have a smart toaster or, or a smart fridge or a smart, you know, laundry machine. And who needs a machine that can access the internet? I don't understand. I, I understand the idea that you could update it, but nobody really wants to send text messages via their smart toaster. Not that I know that that's a capability, but these are devices that are open to the internet. They're open to your home networks. And a lot of people don't think of these smart devices as a vulnerability in the home space. Um, sometimes we think about uh, when a company asks us to bring our own device to work. So we now have a device, a personal mobile phone, for example, or a personal laptop being used as a business device as well. And sometimes those two networks cross. So you have things from your workplace that end up on your home network and vice versa. So we're looking to kind of minimize the risk, especially companies, they if they don't already have a hybrid or remote work policy, um, especially about devices and device usage, they should. We want to talk about numbers, people like statistics. So some of the things that I know um, people are concerned about is, you know, phishing on the home network. So just let me give you a couple of numbers. These are global numbers, so global statistics. Um, nearly a billion emails were exposed in a single year. So in 2020 alone, one in five internet users were affected by some sort of um, email phishing campaign. So I know we're talking about a world of 7 billion, 8 billion people now, but that's still a huge number getting phishing emails, phishing texts, things that will affect their daily life. I'll get into the uh, phishing texts in a minute, but also data breaches cost businesses on average $4.35 million. That's US dollars, but each data breach, each point of connection, each thing that affects our company and our personal devices affects you. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that 82% of breaches against businesses involve a human element. So when we talk about um, securing our network, securing our home devices, hybrid workplace, we want to think about all of the risks and all of the things that we maybe don't think about on a daily basis. We're trying to layer in security as, as a means of the beginning of a product, the beginning of a timeline, the beginning of a workplace. You want security layered into all of that because when we address it later, when we're reactive to something instead of proactive for it, we won't think of all of the things 
ahead of time. Like we're not thinking ahead, we're thinking backwards. And we're like, oh, we should have had these things in place. We should have used encryption. We should have had segmented um, home networks. We should have taught our employees these things. So if we're thinking with security layered in instead of after the fact, um, if we fund it from the beginning, then we're going to have a lot better and cohesive security policies that we can actually follow, that people actually understand that the end user can then um, interpret better. So like a company will give you a policy after the fact, and you're like, well, I have to sit through this silly cybersecurity training, and I don't know why. We'll give them a reason, help them understand why their risk, the risk to the company, the risk to their own devices on their home network means that things can happen. I think this number is quite interesting. It's a number by the Federal Office for um, Information Security of the um, German government. Um, the guys there had a, a company um, investigating how many vulnerabilities they can actually find um, within these devices. And um, we're talking about devices like, of course, um, netbook, notebooks, um, like routers, like um, the smartphone, but also smart refrigerators or surveillance cameras. And it was 7,339 vulnerabilities in only six devices, which is probably the average every um, person these days has. So what are you what are you thinking about this, um, Shannon? Did you did you have any um, imagination around this? It's 7,339 in six devices. I mentioned briefly smart toasters and like smart washing machines, but when we think about endpoints, it's not just our, we're carrying around a computer in our hands. Um, we, we call them mobile phones, but it's, it's a computer and it has these vulnerabilities, all the apps that we download, everything that we use that is connected to the internet could be a point of vulnerability. And while that could be a scary statistic, it can also be a solvable one, provided that we, we layer our security and provided that we use the proper tools to fix kind of the vulnerabilities, whether we patch our devices or run security software or do encryption the best that we can on all the devices if it's available. So for endpoint devices, um, some of the things that we don't think about, again, IoT or um, our routers, our modems, those are the first points that, that the security breaks down in our home networks. So we're actually talking about um, uh, work environment, but on the other hand, this is kind of a mixture, right? We're talking now about um, smart um, housekeeping uh, devices, so to speak, and um, the network in general and professional devices and private devices. So actually every device in a that is connected to a network can be a the friend of the hacker, so to speak. And so I think we should, dive right into this, um, having these basic data outlined and go to the first scenario. What do you think? Yep, that works great. So the first scenario um, we want to talk about is um, actually a quite basic uh, concept of text messaging. Um, we're talking about phishing there. And to be precise, this is about um, smartphones. So what can you tell us about um, everyday situations uh, people come up with when it comes to, um, yeah, phishing with text messages? Yeah, so I briefly mentioned this while we were uh, soloing it in the beginning, but uh, vishing, phishing, 
uh, schmishing, there's all kinds of names, but specifically SMS messaging or text messaging, a lot of the times you might get some rather sophisticated looking text message that is from a global delivery part, like a delivery service such as DHL or UPS, and it gives you a tracking number. And we all order from Amazon. We all expect our packages and track them and press our window, you know, nose against the window looking for them to come on time. Um, and so when you're getting one of those text messages, they look good. They look, oh, here's your tracking number. Your package is, is late. So we may in just getting the text message, click on the link thinking that it's from Amazon or from the delivery partner. And we go to a fake website, which looks real. They're getting better. And we put in our information to track our package. And it turns out we've just given all of the tracking information and our name and address to someone else, to a cyber attacker, to a criminal. So um, it becomes a scam. And then they, you know, maybe they'll send you more text messages and they'll respond to them and they get more information about you. So that's one way that we're seeing um, it's like package tracking or uh, sometimes they'll say, you know, something like have a brief introduction. Hi, you don't know me, but I'm so-and-so we met at this event. So like a scammer may try to actually um, lure you in with pretexting and say, oh, hi, you, you don't know me, but we met at this conference. That's a very common way to get into a text message conversation with somebody that you've never met. Yeah. And what's more, they, they look quite uh, sophisticated these yes. days. So the last time I saw um, such a such a tracking um, code email and, and text message uh, beforehand, I was quite shocked um, because of the, the brand identity, so to speak, of the provider. Right. It was like uh, identical to what you usually get there, and yeah, who can be blamed? Um, you you should be aware. We've all done it. Yeah, and um, on the other hand, you also have like text messages, really text messages, for example, on on a um, maybe hybrid phone, just so to speak. Um, these days, people um, sometimes don't have two smartphones for work and private life but right. they combine it with a dual SIM, for example, or anything. And you have to be quite aware when there's a, a sun showing up, you you don't really have, for example, that's the good case probably, because um, there are people um, claiming to be um, like relatives to, to others and they are asking for information or they're giving information, ask you to, to reach out again. And um, actually a friend of mine, it, it happened there, and he was like, uh, thank God I don't have a son, because it was also quite sophisticated in terms of writing. It's not only the the appearance, but also the, the writing these days. So um, keep your eyes um, open for actually everything. Be suspicious of text messages you expect or don't expect. And keep your work phones as encrypted and safe as you can. Um, Due to our, our little uh, flaw, we lost some time, so I'd say we just move on <laughs> okay. to the second scenario, which is um, about um, pretexting and, and tailgating, um, because sometimes it's not only the cyberspace, but also the real spaces in, in your work life or in your hybrid work life. So um, what can you tell us about um, pretexting and tailgating? So I briefly mentioned this, but but what that is, is kind of uh, setting up a scenario where you you seem to know the person or you seem to belong in the location where you are. So for, for tailgating, an example of that would be, let's say somebody follows you into your work building, you're going into the office for the day, and the person does says to you they don't have a badge and they just... Uh, 
they need to go in they're a guest or they work there on the 14th floor and they just forgot their badge and they're going to pick up a guest badge at the front desk and so you don't think anything of letting that person into the building because they're wearing a business casual or whatever the dress code is they look appropriate to the situation maybe you've never met them because you see people all the time in your office building you've never met so it makes perfect sense that they're there that is an example of tailgating in the work environment and in your personal life let's say you're working from home or you're a hybrid employee which most of us are now um so you're in your apartment building or your flat and you're going into your lobby and you know you go to get your mail and somebody follows you in behind and they're going to get their mail it makes perfect sense that person could live there you don't know everybody in your building and they've now followed you into your building and they're getting the lay of the land there. They they can look at, you know, last names on mailboxes. They can go to an apartment. They could find somebody that they're after in that building. You don't know. So you've basically allowed somebody to violate the security of either your business or your home without knowing it. And we don't think anything of it because the person isn't acting weird. They're not being, you know, strange. They just act like they belong. And that's one of the ways that people can tailgate or find pretext to be in that location. They look like they belong there. So actually, this is what mommy always said, like stranger danger or how you can call it. Um, you can also um, apply it actually to your hybrid work environment or these days when you're in cyberspace and uh, working from home and working in the office. This is probably a thing we should all keep in mind that it's not only about the cyberspace, but also the physical, your physical life, your real mm -hmm. life. And um, sometimes it, it mixes up and yeah, it's it's a weird it's weird situations we're talking there actually so um thanks well, for tech, making is in every, aware. Te tech is everywhere tech is in every aspect of our lives now we've we have got this society now that focuses on you know move fast and break things and we don't think about the security before we put all these tech things into places that are usually sacred to us like you mentioned security cameras in the home i'm sure we'll talk about that but that's another avenue of vulnerability that we don't consider yeah, we will get there. And it's perfectly right what you're saying. It's tech is everywhere. Connection is everywhere. So with connect connectivity, actually, cyber threats arise. The, the more connected we are, the more insecure we can be. And I'm really I want to stress this. We can be as there are measures we will get there too, um, that are quite effective in um, each and every environment to not become a low hanging fruit for hackers. So um, maybe we should... Um, get on with the scenarios and talk a bit more in detail um, about this um, when we have our our home network outline, so to speak, and then get to the point where we um, talk measures against these hackers. So um, let's move on to, to scenario three. And this is my, um, my favorite one, actually, as this is um, such a, I don't know, such, such, such a weird situation um, when I first read about this. It wasn't about being there. It wasn't about actually being there and being connected um, to be able to hack a car, a connected car. But this was about some drones, actually, right? If I got it right, um, Shannon, please. Um, yes. No, you did. You absolutely did. So this is regarding... Um... So Tesla has been in, you know, in the framework of our lives for a few years now, you know, self-driving cars, automated driving, things like that. So they're kind of at the leading edge of the electric car movement. And one of the one of the vulnerabilities that some, you know, uh, very uh, smart hackers discovered was a vulnerability in the car lock feature. So they were able to hack into the vehicle, access the vehicle remotely by using a drone 
and a, um, a Wi-Fi dongle hanging from the drone. So they had the drone above the vehicle, above the Tesla, and they were able to unlock the car. And then they were able to gain remote access to the vehicle. So once they discovered once they could get into, once they could unlock the car, they could also unlock some of the features of the car. And so they reported these vulnerabilities to Tesla, which they then patched. But the idea that somebody could hack your vehicle remotely and never physically be in your garage or in your driveway or near your home, all they need is a drone that has range and a Wi-Fi dongle, and they can hack your Wi-Fi network, hack your car, and you know take remote control of your your fuel supply, um, of your steering wheel. We've seen that happen. They could shut your vehicle off. So these are some of the things, like as a result of the, that one thing that other car hackers are thinking about. How can we remotely access this vehicle? I mean, I'm just thinking of the horror scenario of driving down the highway and my car shuts off. So. Um, that's not something I think anyone wants to think about, but now we have to because cars are also computers too. And now we're real talking. We're talking real cases, right, uh, Shannon? This yes. is not just some imagination or some right. scenario that could be in the I don't know in twenty fifty uh, because uh, cyber threats are getting more sophisticated. We're talking of we're talking about cases right now. Yes, this is actually gonna um, happen if we don't step up our cybersecurity game. Correct. That's really um, a spooky world right now, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, it, it is a little terrifying, yes. <laughs> it, it, it's, and I think it's so spooky because we are so um, connected also with the private life. So once we're talking connected cars and infotainment systems, for example, we're also talking about leaving credentials actually everywhere and also in your car, maybe it's a company car even. I'm, I'm sure right. there are some um, people out there not even caring about um, what could be could happen in a car because you're mobile, right? right. It's, a, it's something for mobility and, and you wouldn't necessarily connect it to your home network or in, in terms of your, your way of thinking maybe. But um, what you should keep in mind is that it's connected to your cell phone, for example, and then it could be connected to your Spotify, to your Netflix, to you name it, your, yep. your bank account. You could also probably shop from uh, these devices you use for, for your mobile life, so to speak. And therefore, um, we should always keep track of how encrypted information flows really are, how um, you you can um, enable maybe multiple factor authentication there. Um, we're talking about some measures that are already, I think, industry standard, but not for all applications and therefore, right. and not for all systems. And therefore I think security design is what we should keep in mind um, with each and every IoT device and connected device we are about to buy, so to speak, or about to use also in a um, work environment. So um, now we have the connected car. Let's see what we have next. Oh, that's also one of my favorites, Hacker's Little Helper. So uh, we've talked about mobile devices, and uh, but we haven't talked about um, Hacker's Little Army, so to speak. So um, once we are uh, connected to one network with uh, several devices, there is the possibility uh, for hackers to have their... Uh, infiltrated army in your home right yes um i think i mentioned this towards the beginning but we were we were talking about um internet of things devices iot smart devices smart watches smartphones uh smart toasters um it could even be 
something as simple as your router and modem that we haven't secured properly because that's the base layer of our security is ensuring that we have good encryption on our on our home network to begin with. And if we have segmented networks, making sure that we have the same level of security on each. But most of the time we connect our, our vulnerable IoT devices to a perhaps vulnerable network because we left default credentials and passwords. So like some people, maybe many end users don't change the, the password on their actual uh, router or modem. And that's one point of weakness. And it's an easy one that a botnet, for example, like the Mirai botnet could scan your IP address because your modem and your router are connected to the internet. It scans your IP address looking for a weak point. So if your default default credentials are there, it's an easy win for them. Once they have access to your router or modem, or once they have access to your toaster, they can then turn that device into a bot and then infect other devices on your network with the botnet. And then what that means is you now have a botnet army, which for people who are not super techie, or if you are super techie, you know that that can then spread malware through all those devices and globally, connect it to other botnet devices. And what's more, if, you, if you're thinking about, of course, refrigerators, toasters, all smart devices, mm -hmm. they are usually not, um, it's behavioral data actually, or machine data and not like these super sensitive uh, personal data. But anyhow, it could also work for each and every um, monitor, each and every display to be part of this IoT botnet. And when I'm thinking about, uh, again, security cameras, for example, mm -hmm. these cameras would spy on you and maybe also some personal data like your, the next uh, insurance contract or something just laying, mm -hmm. on the lying on the table. It's just one zoom then and it's all there. You have the data. You, had, you have the behavioral data. You have the sensitive data. Maybe you have the health data. So actually... Then we're we're talking about something like even identity theft, right? And yes, this is this is what you've just mentioned. Uh, it's first and foremost probably about the router. Um, we keep probably um, talking everywhere. We're talking about um, mobile devices. Actually, this is a stationary device in in usual um, use cases, so to speak. And therefore, we tend to abandon it once once it's set. But um, we have to keep in mind that data breaches, it's a little computer, actually, and data breaches can come with every computer. Um, so can you give us some advice on um, and the audience on how to secure, um, how to make it safer also when it comes to, or how to make it a habit, habit to have each and every device um, secured? Um, because I think it's not only about um, different passwords, using using different passwords and updating passwords. This is about more, right? It is. But passwords are a good place to start because even as people who work in security and even as people who try to be safer, we sometimes do a one and done. We or we reuse similar passwords on other devices. So I will address password hygiene, having unique, strong passwords for every device. So maybe use a password manager. Um, and also, if you have encryption available, 
on all of your devices, use it. And now a lot of IoT devices don't have that, but your um, you can have encrypted email, you can have encrypted documents because you may be signing documents on your phone, for example. So if you have encryption available for your mobile phone, use encryption. If you have encrypted messaging, use encrypted messaging. If you have encrypted notes, use encrypted notes. Now, not everything is going to be solved by encryption, but it definitely makes it. And there's different types of encryption. I'm not gonna get into that, but the better, and more secure you are from the beginning when you're thinking about the things and the devices and the apps that you're using and using caution with what you put out there, um, that helps a great deal uh, because you're not going to be low-hanging fruit. Everything that you do to secure your device a little bit better means that you're less of a target for somebody who's looking for an easy win. And that's usually what scammers and hackers are after is something easy. Sometimes they want challenges, but by and large, they're money-driven, blackmail-driven, um, credential-driven. So Double check your privacy and safety settings. Make sure you have good security software. Um, if you have it available, you know, whatever you're using, Bitdefender, Windows Defender, if you're on Linux machines, use what's available. Um, consider using a VPN if that's available to use. I know for some work purposes, um, businesses require VPN use to log in. Um, you want uh, multi-factor authentication as well. That's another step you can take. If it's available, please use it. It will make it harder. It's not a perfect system. Nothing about this is perfect. Nothing about security is perfect. And uh, if we can make it easier, that would be great because like we, money loves speed. We'd rather have money than security. And we, we make trade-offs for that. And one of those trade-offs is potential identity theft, possible credential stealing, um, loss of device use, things like that. So, um, I think I mentioned security software, encryption, uh, double checking, yep, VPN, um, and then your privacy and security settings. Sometimes um, companies will update their privacy and security settings, uh, their security protocols. Make sure you know what your company's policies are, as well as checking to make sure that your own personal um, social media accounts, that of your children and your family, those are also points of vulnerability. So if you feel like you need to set them to private or to take better care of your social media by using multi-factor authentication to secure your accounts, that's another way you can be a little bit safer. And then the last thing I'll mention is checking to see which of your accounts has been involved in a data breach, because often that's the first point of contact a hacker will have with you is your email address. So if you use your Google address, uh, email address, for example, for a lot of your, uh, you know, logins for your, your cable or your Wi-Fi bill or your phone, um, if they have control of your, your email account, they will have access to everything else about you. So those are the things that I would consider, at least as a starting point, but easy wins. We like those. Oh, yeah. Thanks for sharing. And we will have several other ones um, to be shared later on, because um, actually this was one of the housekeeping notes of the beginning, but we're good in time, I think, um, at the moment. So let's have a, a little um, housekeeping addition there. We will have the materials and, of course, of course the recording uh, session shared with the audience. And everybody who couldn't make it or left because of my little um, attendance problem from the beginning. And we will also have, like, let's make it a, a top 10 tasks to perform right away. Um, we will have this also with, with the audience to, to get you going, to um, secure your um, hybrid workspaces. Um, but that's just for some um, more housekeeping notes. And before we move on to the Q&A session, um, there are some questions in the, in the thread here, I can see, and we will get to them um, in a bit. But what I'd like to talk about is about um, the 
interference, so to, so to speak, um, when it comes to your professional and your private life and identity theft. So how this, how could a scenario, so the worst case scenario, for example, um, look like? So um, there's a there's a hacker getting in. Um, it's about the credentials of the router. The router controls everything else. So each and every device is also affected now. Um, what is then happening in a um, regular Shannon Miller case? Is it really about all your private life, all your professional life, or how can we imagine such a case? Um, it's about mitigating. If once it's happened, and, and it's not a matter of, of if it will happen, it's a matter of when. So understanding how to layer your security, um, understanding where you're vulnerable, uh, double checking, you know, even if it's just once a year where you go through your accounts and ensure that you have um, multi-factor authentication, you double check your passwords. I know not everyone's going to change their passwords every 90 days. I understand that. What we're, what we're talking about is what can we do that's an easy win? What can we do that will make it simpler for our kids to be safer if you're working from home and you have children um, and making our workplace safer? This is not about perfect, like perfect scenarios. It's not about perfection on anything. It's, it's about making it easier and more accessible. And I think we kind of tend to silo information about security and we tend to make it more complicated and use big words. But if you go back to the basics of the things that we've learned and we've discussed in this, all of those things can help keep you safer and help limit or prevent full identity theft. Now, if it does happen to you, every country handles it a little bit differently. I know a lot of people here will get, you know, credit freezes and credit monitoring. And when I say here, I mean United States, but in Europe, you, you have much stronger uh, data protection and privacy laws. So when something happens and you get a data breach, the company gets sued here, they, you know, the victims aren't really helped by anyone. Um, they're expected to do it on their own. So that can be very confusing and it can be very scary. Uh, so mitigation is really the best way. Um, it's not perfect, but we're doing what we can. So uh, thanks for sharing. Mitigation is also a thing um, organizations could keep an eye on is mm -hmm. what I anticipate now. Um, also for probably each and every company in the US as it's uh, about workers um, being left mm -hmm. on their own. It seems yeah. like uh, this is the case when you're, when you're talking about this. This is probably not just in your cases, but uh, or the, the cases you're dealing with, but also everywhere else probably. So this is, I think, about what we um, do at, um, yeah, I think these days, most European um, countries with uh, GDPR compliance. So, um, I'm a um, trained data protection officer myself, and from what I know from the from the tech side of life, so to speak, this is really um, if you aren't secure by design, design, so to speak, this is really a, a long journey to go. You have to be aware of what your colleagues are using actually first, give you have an have an overview. And then you have to make it secure, like um, at, at each and every touch point, so to speak. And um, but this is something that we share probably with each and everybody around the world. It is also about um, awareness. So you should make people aware before you tell them what to do and what not to use, because they are used to having comfort, usability, and you right. name it. Right from the beginning, it was about we had this. What what was the claim? Um, be fast and break things. 
Yeah, move this was the way to go. Obviously, that's, that's many, the many Silicon Valley way. That's yeah. And, every product, um, every device, every social media network. And because of this, I think it's way. Um, it's yeah, it's difficult to have it another way these mm -hmm. days. Actually, you need it. You see the number. You see the breach numbers. You see the fees. Um, when it comes to GDPR compliance, for example, but still people are using what breaks things still, actually. Yeah. And it's not that easy, I think, to identify the services and the products out there, the digital products and services out there that are secure by design, that are encrypted, end-to-end -end encrypted by design, or there's encryption that has uh, flaws or maybe some... Um, well, back doors, maybe. And this is also what we're talking about um, in politics these days. It's about back doors for end-to-end -end encryption. And from a, a treasury point of view, as we're in end-to-end -end encrypted cloud services provider, of course, this is something we cannot do. So this is about zero knowledge. You can be sure about your data being secure once we don't know what you're sharing, actually. And um, this is what I wanted to... Um, get to actually once there's no data to be shared or once you're hacked and you um you this data is encrypted it's like you're getting salad you're, you're getting like yeah. worthless data um you cannot use and this is why i'm since, since i've been working at treasury i'm, I'm uh, the more aware i am despite the fact that i, I worked as a data protection officer before it's about really end-to-end -end encrypting your sensitive data, at least. So mm -hmm. be aware also in a hybrid workspace. And this is what I'm um, trying to say. And um, this, this message is, I think, the most important one for the audience, too. Every time you think there could be some data involved that is sensitive, and we're talking about also critical business information, like NDAs, for example, once you're, you're sharing your NDA and you should sign it and whatever, and you're using email, make sure to encrypt it. Make sure that also um, attachments are encrypted because encryption for email is not encryption for email every time because it's not about only the content of the email, but also the attachments. And therefore, um, I think we're on the same page there. Um, use VPNs, use encryption, heavy encryption, and have your updates in place. This is also, I, I, I learned it even from the healthcare sector. So I don't know if it's the same in the US, but even in Europe, there are hospitals not updating their mm -hmm. IUMT devices. So their um, internet of medical things devices. Yep. And therefore there's hacks. There's hacks going on in hospitals and put lives at risk. Yeah. It's, it's uh, in, insane how many um, touch points you can have there too. Um, but I'm, I don't know, have you been in touch with some medical cases also when it comes to data breaches in the US? Well, I used to work in uh, research and analysis, specializing in IT healthcare, specifically um, uh, electronic data records. So I'm intimately familiar with the risk of health data being breached and or vulnerable. Um, so you're, when you're talking about electronic data records or health records, um, you're also talking about pacemakers. These are these devices can also be Wi-Fi connected. Um, there was a, there was an incident in one of the major hospitals here. I can't disclose which one, but the device was actually in the patient's uh, chest cavity, and somebody hacked the device. Uh, so they had to replace the pacemaker because they shut it off. 
So there, that's a very small example of what can happen to you. Um, if, if you rely on that to live, then it's basically a, a I don't want to call it like a, a, a death. It's like, a, it's a, like a kill switch almost um, if we're relating it to technology terms. So um, we're also talking about ransomware in hospitals, basically shutting down the hospital and their ability to use the machines that are connected to the internet. Um, a lot of health devices are. So we've seen examples of that where um, the lives of patients have to be transferred to ensure that they can live or use the machines that are keeping them alive because the hospital has ransomware and they have to turn everything off. So there is, there's a lot of scenarios, horror scenarios in the IT sector, but I, I feel like that's a bit far afield from where we want to go at the moment. <laughs> So. Oh, yeah, of course. And don't get me going with the supply chain topic <laughs> but, and whatnot. I, but just from a personal example, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this, this is another chapter then. So, <laughs> it is. It is yeah. totally a different chat. I know there's a couple of questions still that they wanted to get to. So. Yeah, and I think we should get to them. And um, yeah, so let's move on to the Q&A session. This was a really nice talk, and I think we have a good overview. And we got people um, started with the question. And to start with an easy one, maybe. Oh, easy one. Easy. It's an easy one in terms of it's straightforward, so to speak. Um, because there is a question from, from the audience that says, is securing the router sufficient for protecting IoT devices if a firewall is in place? And I think this, this one is interesting because it's about securing only one device to secure all devices. What's your classification? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it depends. And this is an answer I hate, but I give a lot because um, I, you can secure the one device and still have some other devices vulnerable on the network. Um, it depends on how you've secured your network, even if you have a firewall. It just depends on the level of um, gumption, let's say, that the hacker has about what they're after and why they're going after you. Now, if it's, if it's in my case, if it's a harassment or stalking case and the person happens to be a hacker and going after a specific target, if it's targeted harassment, which I deal with a lot, and you have a group of people doing this, then I would say just because you have a firewall, just because you have good credential management and password hygiene, just because you have mostly secured devices does not necessarily mean your network will be secured. So, that, that would be a very specific case, but in general, I would say if you have a firewalled um, and well-protected system, you're probably better off than most people, if that answers your question. Oh, I, I hope so. And um, what's more, maybe an addition, um, if it's a question mark, I think you should always try to um, look at each and every device first. If there is some security by design measures, for example, sure. you can be at least surer that this is gonna work with the with the IoT at home uh, too. So um, one tip would be always make sure before you buy to take um, take care of um, looking at the prerequisites of the device, maybe, and also the company, because mm -hmm. this is not only about the um, the situation when buying so to speak but also the the update culture of a company there are many um, companies out there that don't even offer patches for example for right. vulnerabilities even though it's like eight months that the data breach was mm -hmm. public or whatever so um i think you're you're doing great once you're trying to um implement only security encryption privacy by design devices 
but I know it's, it's quite difficult these days because it's, most yeah, of the yeah. time, not the, the most important part of um, manufacturers, but we will get there someday, I hope. And um, the other the thing only, is- I just, uh, one, one, one thought, just one thought that came yeah. to me on this sure. is I have known somebody and that this is a security person. So they tend to be a little bit more um, snappy when it comes to understanding how to set up multiple or segmented home networks. I know we have a question about that. So this will lead into that, but um, they set up all of their IoT devices on a separate network from their home network. So all their network, home network traffic for their laptops, mobile phones, and tablets was separate from their IoT network. Now, they could manage the IoT devices. So if there was, for example, a botnet attack or an infection, it wouldn't infect the devices on their, um, their standard home communication network. But they had a totally separate network they were kind of messing around with to see what was vulnerable, to see what was targeted. So that's one option. But again, not everyone has the bandwidth or the... Um, monetary ability to do that so yeah this is what, what I was gonna say um before actually when we um briefly talked about segmented um networks because the question is quite frequent here in in the in the open questions so um you answered it halfway so to speak I think for some but um this is always something um one has to be discussed uh has to discuss with a with an IT admin I think because the uh, the infrastructure is a point there and of course this is also about training so mm -hmm. the employer um, should implement a program actually making people aware train them how to use devices at home and have their have them briefed um, on the I think it's like a code of conduct so to speak for working from home or something Something like this should be in place and the IT admin and probably the executives are to implement then a, a infrastructure first to be able to have these um, segmented um, networks. But I'm not a professional on this. This is just what I um, learned from my um, from my jobs. Um, it's about, in my case, it, it always was just about the information flow. Actually, it was about the data protection, but this is also about device protection and network protection infrastructure. So um, this will be um, my guess. Um, talk to your IT admin, talk to your executives about this. If, if the need is there for hybrid workspace situations, it's always a, a, a matter of company culture too, right? Well, yes. And there's, yes, and um, there's a lot of self-employed people. There's a lot of small businesses or boutique companies that maybe can't afford an IT person and maybe don't have the training themselves to implement a segmented network at home. So I, I hate to say that YouTube is the teacher of all of us, but sometimes it's up to the person at home to secure their network and to segment their network and to put their business devices on a different network than their home devices and to use the same level of security, if not more for the business practice, because that means you are liable if something happens, the company then becomes liable for those devices and what's on them. So if you're thinking about it from a legal perspective, you're actually better off if you can segment your network and if your company is willing to help fund it. But again, if you're a small business operation and you don't have the bandwidth or the funding to do that, it's going to be up to the individual end user to know how to do that. Um, anyway, enough about network segmentation. I know there's more questions. Yeah, there's more questions. <laughs> and um, one question is about... Um... I think it was about invoice data. Yeah, so I just read it out loud. Um, can you speak to the issue of many companies that send out invoices 
that have their electronic payment information, so like bank routing, wire and account information in plain text on the face of the invoice? Um, that is um, not great, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. I, I agree. I, <laughs> Um, I'm, that's my nice way of saying it. I, please don't do this. Uh, I know it, it sounds, I'm, this is not coming from a place of judgment. This is coming from a place of you're now making your company information connected to you and your business vulnerable. And once we have your bank and routed numbers, we can have everything. And what, what most scammers, what most phishing attacks are after is money, um, committing fraud, bank account, credit card theft, all of that, even business side. So once they have your corporate information, that's, that's just another way for them to steal, uh, competitor secrets, to steal company information, to steal funds from, um, we call that embezzling or fraud. So please um, don't put your bank and routing numbers on your invoices. Please protect those. That's that's highly sensitive information that should not be in plain text on any document, in my opinion. So, yes, and I, I want to add one tiny aspect of information on this too. Um, in general, be as minimal as you can with information. So this is one. Actually, this is one um, uh, pillar of of GDPR. It's about minimization. So. Once you don't have to give some information, don't give it. This is also about the, the same thing with each and every service provider. Service providers should only get the information they really need to maybe identify persons in, in a um, business em environment. So this is about um, companies working with companies. For example, you have to have some trust there that the company really exists, for example. Otherwise, this will be a, an, another flaw. But if you're a private person, if you're a freelancer, if you're a small, a medium-sized business, you always have to keep in mind what data you want to share with external, internal um, stakeholders and also with your service provider. So you don't um, need to um, give your, this is just a, a marketing scenario, of course, but you don't always have to give your, your phone number for um subscribing to a newsletter but I've, I've seen i've seen it all so therefore once people are trying to get your information try to be as as minimal as you can and um yeah probably it, it makes sense to to have a look at at the uh at the prerequisites um outlined in the gdpr it's quite interesting um from a data protection point of view what is let's say um what is okay what is needed in some places and what you should probably skip, or maybe you should talk to a company um, if there is another way when it comes to digital information flows. Um, now we're running out of time a bit, I think, but we can get to one more question. Um, there is another um, question on um, best practices. So um, maybe you can share your best practices. And as it says, when it comes to test the implemented security measures from a quality assurance perspective. So um, this um, voice from the audience uh, likes to read more on this, but maybe we can also have a, a short talk on this. Um, so when it comes to quality and quality assurance and uh, quality assessments and um, security measures, um, also when it comes to products, probably, um, what can you share in terms of best practices um, for information security? 
I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. it, it all best practice. It's such a, hmm, that's a very broad question without enough time to answer. I would need more context in the question of like what specifically you're referring to in terms of quality assurance. Like, are you testing internal systems? Are you testing home networks? Are you testing, um, you know, what, what is it that you're, what are you looking for? I guess that would be my better. So I'd say I'd have to follow up on that because I'm not exactly sure what kind of answer they're looking for. And I don't want to give bad advice. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, from, from what I thought when I first read it, I, I thought about maybe security being part of quality, so to speak. Okay. So um, there is a, um, a, an ISO, for example, also on this, when you, when you um, looking at, at quality management, um, there is always a part of security in there, for example, and uh, most of the time it's um, similar things like with the GDPR compliance. So therefore, um, make sure you have your technical and organizational measures in there, mm -hmm. because it's also part of the of the quality of a product in terms of tech, at least. So yeah. I can only speak for the tech side of life. Um, as I've been working for the 3D printing company also, and, and we had it there. And um, quality assurance and quality management was a big part of this. And also in health tech, of course, this is a big part of, the, of it. And um, you have to have these measures in place. Otherwise, um, you won't be able to succeed in the market in, in some cases. And I don't know this case, of course. But if you're in right, tech, if like you're... if they had indicated an industry, I could say, you know, there's specific organizations that may have like a quality standards checklist or like if you're if you need to be NIST compliant, INST, that's a U.S. based thing. But if you need NIST compliance standards, that's a different thing. So it just depends on which standards you're trying to comply with and what your company policies are in terms of the industry that you work in, what that would be measured against and how you would test it. Yeah, and of course, we will have another look at all these questions that remain there and probably also this. Maybe we can reach out again or maybe this user can also ask it um, under the in the in the reply section, for example, of the webinar or whatever. Um, but um, I think we have to close this now. It was really nice. And it was really nice seeing you again and a really nice talk. I think we've learned a lot today. And um yeah, as I've said, this is a recorded webinar, so we will share it if you um, like. We will have it on our YouTube channel as well, and um, we will always um, we will try to curate it, um, or we will create curate it in the in the next uh, weeks or months. I don't know um, how long the series will be, but at the moment it's accepted quite well. So we will have another one. Maybe also uh, with you, Shannon, if you like, at some point when we're talking about supply chains or whatever, we will see. Maybe we'll have another Don't round. get me started. I have so much to say about supply chain. <laughs> <laughs> but the next webinar, um, and feel free to attend this too, is it's about end-to-end -end encryption. And actually, this is one thing we are doing um, at Trezorit. But there are always ways um, of security measures that can be in a bit wrong. So um, our um, C-level um, professional, who is also a um, an, um, cryptographer, so he's from the field, he would talk about how end-to-end -end encryption took over the world, but doesn't always deliver on its promises. And this is on May 3, so feel free to attend, uh, to register and attend. The registration link is in the in the slides. Um, 
I think if I if I got it wrong, we also share these um, with the attendees today. And um, of course, um, this is about thanking you, Shannon. It's about thanking for all the questions for all the people in the audience. I hope you had some fun and learned a bit from our webinar and um, feel free also to take a look at, as I said, our YouTube channel. And of course, lock down your life. The website is also in there. So thank you again. And we meet probably a second time at some point of time, hopefully. So take care, have a nice day. And yeah, this is goodbye, I think. I think so. Thank you. Thank you.